With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Canes Country Podcast is back, and the Hurricanes just suffered a tough loss last night. Let me tell you. Uh, We're recording this on Thursday, February 18th. You will hear this on Friday, February 19th. My name's Brett Finger. I'm joined by Andrew Schnicker and Ryan Hankel. How are you guys doing this week? Well, I don't have a pillow fort to record from like you, so I'm probably doing not as well as you, but I'm doing all right. I'm doing good, too. Yeah, to add context, in this new apartment, there are walls that are not very uh, receptive to noise. So I have taken it on myself to build a structure, a very impressive structure, that will help absorb sound so I don't sound terrible on the podcast. Um, I went on another podcast this week, uh, Jablam Sports Podcast, uh, if you want to take a look at that or take a listen at that, I suppose. Uh, and I was on there and I, we were talking about the Dezingle trade, uh, which is something that we we can talk about here too. Yes, we have not. Yeah, we did. We, we just missed it last week. So we're, we'll talk about that too. But I sounded a little echoey and stuff. Uh, how do I sound? Is it, is, is there any, anything of that? Is my, no, you sound, sound good. The fort I've built it consists of three cardboard boxes, a blanket, uh, a pillow, and uh, I'm currently in a bit of a fort right now. And I've, it's taking me back to a better time in my life when I would build forts and, uh, you know, not a care in the world. And now I care about hockey. So let's get on to that. So 4-3 shootout win in Dallas. Bit of a hectic one. We can kind of start there. Another shootout win for the Hurricanes. And they've been getting a little reliant on that this year, a little bit. And for the first time in, I don't know, ever, they're they're great in shootouts. Like you, you, for the first time ever, you feel like if the Hurricanes get to a shootout, they're gonna win. It's, it's almost like when you add a shit ton of really skilled players, hmm. you're going to have a good chance to win skills competitions. Yeah, it. Yeah, with this latest Dallas shootout win, I think it's. 10 in a row dating back to 2018 of the Carolina Is Hurricanes. Is that really? One Are you serious? I think, won, I think they've won 10 shootouts in a row dating back to 2018, yeah. I, God, I can remember, I think it was like 11, 12, maybe my freshman year of high school. They like almost did not win a single shootout until I think the very last home game of the season went to a shootout and they won it and that was it. But, um, no, I mean, it's it's crazy to remember back to the days when a shootout felt like an automatic loss as opposed to what it does now. Yeah. Well, I mean, Cam Ward was terrible in shootouts. And, oh, my God, he was. Um, that certainly didn't help. So even even when the Hurricanes did have some skill, it, it, it wasn't great. It, even during the days of when Ray Whitney was here and was good in the shootout, and UC Okanen, they somehow weren't great in shootout. It doesn't make any sense. Well, and the UC, the whole UC Okanen thing, he kind of got 
like he kind of got figured out like his last few years in Carolina he was he did not score very many shootout goals and even like the Hurricanes like their best players Eric Stahl was an abysmal terrible shootout player I mean he would just skate in in a straight line and fire it into the goalie's chest Jeff Skinner for the same reason that Sebastian Ajo really can't do shootouts now um, because he would just shoot five hole was not a good shootout player so yeah I mean it even when they had some skill, they were not guys who had the specific kind of creativity you need for shootouts. E- even a UC Okanen, who, like I said, I think people kind of read the book on him later in his career. Yeah. Man, Sebastian Ajo could add another move to his breakaway repertoire. It's literally the same thing every time. It's, it's every time. Just one more. Like, even if you want to do five holes sometimes and do one other thing sometimes – you know, to keep teams guessing, that would be better than what you're doing right now. Backhand slide at five full. It, yeah, it's not, every even, time. it's not even just uh, shootouts. It's literally every breakaway he has ever taken in the NHL has been. If, if it's just him, oh, hello. Andrew's cat <laughs> wanted, special guest. Andrew's cat wanted yeah, to give a take a on Sebastian Ajo. What's your cat's name? His name is Oliver. Oh. That's adorable. Well, he he looked very interested in offering us here, some takes. Can you bring him back? Yeah, here he is. Oh, what do you have to say about uh, Sebastian Ajo's breakaways, Oliver? Yeah, he's, he's not a fan. <laughs> oh wow, Oliver, not a fan. Wow, that you... that, that was Brett and uh, not the cat. If you guys wow know. wow, <laughs> way to break the immersion of yeah, the podcast. Yeah, really. I mean, geez, <laughs> unbelievable. You're sabotaging the podcast. I can't believe this. So sorry. I, I wanted to go in order, but speaking of cats, uh, the Hurricanes played the Panthers on Wednesday night. Uh, Wednesday, you just couldn't pass up that segue. I know, right? Like, I can't. And, and probably the best game of the week is the one I'm skipping over just so I can have the segue, but we'll get to that in one moment. We're doing things a little unorthodox here. It's uh, it's like a Quentin Tarantino movie. Uh, it doesn't really make sense the timeline, but um, it'll all come together at the end. Usually, well, usually in his case, yeah. For our case, not usually. But the the Florida game. So this was interesting. Before I before I talk about it, I was I was there covering it. Why does the fake noise that's pumped into the arena sound like static from a television? It's so bad. It's. I'm pretty sure it's the same. I was prepared for it when I did my first game because I'm pretty sure it's the same one that um, NC State basketball has been using most of this season in there that I've been covering. But yeah, it, it sounds absolutely ridiculous. It's, it sounded like TV static. Like I was like, what is going on? It, it, it was just like a constant humming of static. Uh, so... <laughs> Uh, that was interesting. Uh, not quite as interesting as what happened during the game, though. So the Hurricanes had a great first period against Florida. They were they were on it. Uh, Brady Shea got called for tripping. There was a lengthy delay after that. Columbus challenged it for offsides. I'm going to reuse the joke that I tweeted last night uh, here on the podcast. Love reusing content. Big recycler over here. Save the planet. Save the planet, reuse jokes from Twitter on your podcasts, and the the Hurricanes killed the penalty, though, 
and they went on to really dominate the first period. It was a really impressive showing from them early on, and then it all really fell apart. Uh, Jordan Stahl scored again. He has goals in four straight games. Yeah, he, he, he can't stop, and he won't stop scoring. He most certainly will not stop. <laughs> no way. He's... His thirty-eight percent shooting percentage is is sustainable. Thirty-eight percent. He continue to rise. A PDO of three hundred. It's unbelievable. It's it it it's mathematically impossible what's happening, and it will never change. After after Jordan scored on again, like we'll talk about him more later. I'm not gonna wax po not wax poetic. Not, what's the word I'm looking for? What's the phrase I'm looking for? I don't know. I'm not I gonna... think wax poetic is I the think phrase. Wax is the phrase. Yeah. Like singing phrase on him. No, yeah, not, yeah, even, that's... not to linger. Linger. I'm not trying to linger on this for now, even though I am uh, very much so doing that right now. The uh, Jordan Saul, that goal was, I mean, where where the hell has that been? My God. That was a snipe. What the hell was that? It was, it it was such a snipe. It was like he got the puck and he had it for like a millisecond, and it was just snapshot, and it it went top shelf. And like I thought the puck was never going to come down. I thought it was just going to stay rattling around up there because it rattled off of like three posts up top, and I was like, oh, it's never coming down. He he's he sniped it so perfectly, and Sebastian Ajo followed up with a goal. A deflection in the slot 22 seconds later and then the game fell apart for the Hurricanes so Florida came out in the second period uh second period wasn't great it wasn't a, an atrocity and but Florida did get a goal and then the third period was however an atrocity and Florida scored twice before Vincent Trocek got his storybook goal that will be remembered forever against his old team uh, that was supposed to be like the big goal is like, oh, that he propels the Hurricanes to a win. I already had it written down. I was like, oh, man, Vincent Troche against his old team propels Hurricanes to a win. And then they lost in overtime. Thoughts on whatever the hell that game was? I will say um, credit to the Hurricanes for, you know, I'll go glass half full here. I mean, credit for the Hurricanes for on a night when they clearly just did not have it over the last two periods for battling back and finding a way to get a point. I mean, they went, because the power play, before they went on the one that Trochik tied the game, the two power plays that they'd had in the game before that, that night, were not good. I mean, I was not overly optimistic yeah. about that power play doing anything. And it was just business-like. I mean, they went out, they won the face-off. Uh, I, I believe it was Dougie Hamilton got it over to Svechnikov, who ripped it on net, and then Trochik got just a super deflection on that so no i will say i mean i've i've definitely seen plenty of hurricanes teams just kind of pack it in and take their loss in a third period like that so credit to them for not doing it but yeah i mean the the last two periods just they weren't good um i feel like the hurricanes have been getting away with some lackluster stretches like that more often than not recently and in this game they did not um, Lord, you know, I mean, Florida, I think, I think it's kind of time too to start taking Florida seriously. I mean, look, Jonathan Huberto, some of the plays he's making, he's a great player. So you, you I mean, at bottom line, you just can't play the way they did against a team like that 
in the last two periods and expect to come out with a win. And I mean, that's what they were saying after the game. I mean, Jordan Stahl and Rod Brindamore were, Brett, you were on the post game zooms. Jordan Stahl and Rod Brindamore were not happy campers no. last night. So no, yeah, I would, I would expect that to be corrected going into this weekend series against Chicago. But yeah, yeah. Credit to them for earning a point, but you, you can't play like that. Yeah. On Jonathan Huberto, something oh. about spinning passes in the Carolina hurricanes. Yeah. Jonathan Huberto makes just a beautiful play like along the boards to give, I think it was the Panthers the, to tie it up two to two and he just spinning backhand it right, right to Alex Wenberg for the easy goal. in. it was just like a beautiful, like one sequence pass. And there's something about spinning passes. Like you had Matthews last year in that crazy Toronto game. You had Tara Vine into Ajo in the Winnipeg game. Something about the hurricanes and spinning passes. It just seems to, Seems to bring out the best in some playmakers. Yeah, and uh, Seth Jarvis, uh, we can talk about him a little bit too. Uh, he had a, an assist on a goal for Chicago where he spun around in the defensive zone, banked a pass off the wall in the neutral zone perfectly to the tape of David Cotton to set up a two-on-one, which was absolutely gorgeous. And Seth Jarvis yeah. is a menace, by the way. Do you guys think that uh, Jonathan Huberto saw Seth Jarvis's pass and he was kind of trying to troll the Hurricanes by yeah. imitating it? A hundred percent. I think I think yeah. he I Imitation's think he I think he really I think he's watching every time he plays a team, he's like, I'm gonna watch their AHLers and if they do something cool, I'm gonna I'm gonna one up them. I mean, real talk, Jonathan Huberto's always been like an all star player. He doesn't get a lot so of credit, but he's always been I think he's like their leading point, like of all time. Isn't he their like leading point getter of all time? Is he? Huberto? That yeah. Yeah, I think he is because I think at one point we were doing, we were having some discussion among like our staff. I think maybe Brian was involved too, and I tried to say, "Oh yeah, Florida's all time leading point getter. It's probably like Ola Jokinen." And then we looked it up, and it turned out to be Huberto. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, 457. He's also their all time assist leader. Yeah, and he added to that last night, and then he added a goal to that total at the very end. Uh, Jake Gardner, I mean, just an unfortunate pass. Uh, from... Yeah, it's he'd been playing well before that too, and that's what's well, going it... to get. Well, I'll save my rant about Jake Gardner, my weekly Jake Gardner rant. I'll, I'll save it for a second. You go ahead, Andrew. No, I was just going to say, like, yeah, that's a tough play to make, but at the same time, like. Like we said, it's a guy. He's try. He's been playing well. He's confident in his passes. He's trying to make a play. It's a low percentage play, but like it's kind of, you know, I'm, it. It was still a good defensive play by Barkov to break that up. And if if Gardner gets that pass through to Trocheck, he probably wins the game and is a hero. Like, kind of like Sebastian Ajo's empty net, you know. Oh God, From that was Dallas worse. Game. That was I so mean, bad. There's ways you can think about it. It's like he has a guy on him, and so he feels like if he just spins and sends it backhand, there's no way the defenseman's going to be able to just swing his stick backwards to stop the pass and shoot it up the ice. He also has an empty net right in front of him. Uh, that that was way worse than what Gardner did, I think. Like, Significantly I think worse. It, I think it's way, way, way worse than what Gardner did. So the only thing about Gardner... Gardner's maybe you could argue because the Hurricane Ajo's gives Dallas one point, but then the Hurricanes get the second. Gardner's gives Florida 
the second point, but in terms of pure decision making, Ajo's was significantly worse. I think Ajo felt he couldn't get the clean shot off is what I think it came down to. But then you get the puck deep. It's still a higher yeah. percentage play than what you tried to do. Like it was kind yeah. of it, it it obviously wasn't as bad as this, but the <laughs> Sean Horkoff Dallas Stars empty net was it Sean Horkoff who Yes, 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 I know uh, who was it Sean Horkoff? I don't remember, but it was he came in on the empty Alex net. Hemsky. Yeah, I don't remember. Um, I'm getting a lot of those are I'm getting my former Oilers and Stars confused because they were both uh, Oilers and Stars during that era. Uh, I think they were both on the Edmonton team that went to the final. Anyway, not the point that I'm trying to make. It, it reminded me of him missing that empty netter. And it's like trying to roof. Like I, I still don't know what the hell was happening. Oh there. no! Wait, are you talking about Patrick Stefan? Was it Patrick Stefan? That's like, what he has it was. the empty yeah, net, yeah. and he's like just gonna tap it in. He falls down. The Oilers go the other way. To score. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, Patrick there you, Stephon. there you go. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> I honestly even forgot that he was a Dallas star. So yeah, it, it was kind of like you had an empty netter right there. You didn't take it, and instead, uh, it goes the other way, and the other team scores though obviously not as dramatic and embarrassing as the, as the other one, uh, to Sebastian Ajo's credit. But, yeah, you know, like you, Ryan, you said, Jake Gardner was really good against Florida, and he's been really good in general lately. Um, and I, I honestly, I'm at the point where I don't enjoy talking about Jake Gardner when I feel like he's playing well, because I honestly, like, I hate the reputation that I have for, about Gardner at this point. Like, I hate it. Um, and it it doesn't even feel like when I'm being objective that, like, anyone buys it, that, that I'm being objective about Jake Gardner. But I will still do so anyway. Um, he was great. He, he and Pesci were outstanding. They were, their, they were the best defensive pairing for the Hurricanes, uh, without a doubt, for a majority of that game. I think through the second period, Gardner had like a 18 to three Corsi four against Corey Lavalette. Uh, North State Journal tweeted that out, and you know they were very good. That's been the Hurricanes' best pairing this year. Like they, they're kind of it's kind of been switched up. They they both of those two have played with different people. Gardner's played some with Hayden Flurry, and Pesci's played some with Brady Shea. But I think it's been at its best when it's those two together. No, it has been. And if you look at 100%. if you look at their numbers, I wrote about Brett Pesci today, Ryan wrote about Jordan Stahl. Go check it out at canescountry.com. Yes, those are both great stories. Go check them out. And Alec wrote about Alec Sawyer wrote about Vincent Trocheck earlier in the week. If you haven't yeah. read that, also a very good one. Yeah. You know, Brett Pesci, you know, he has the best expected goals for on ice among all Canes defensemen, one of the best in the league. And I was making a case today that he has been one of the best defensemen in the league. Uh, I think he's maybe been the best defenseman in the division. Hot takes. There's that. And then Jake Gardner, take a guess as to who who are the top two on the Hurricanes with regards to expected goals against on ice. If you were to pick two. I, think, I read your story, so I'll... I, we both I, I edited yeah. your story so that I would kind of be cheating, but um, so we most certain. I mean, we do know the answer. Do you remember the answer? Well, tell me the answer it was, then. It was Slavin and Dougie, right? 
No, it's Slavin and Gardner. Slavin and Gardner. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Andrew didn't read the story actually. Yeah. Andrew's capping. Yeah. I did read the story. No, I know. I know he read the story. He was in the editor with me. But yeah, so Gardner has the second lowest expected goals against at five on five this year for the Hurricanes among defensemen. Only Jacob Slavin has a lower one, and that's a pretty surprising stat. Um, he's it's pretty inarguable that he's been really solid this year. Uh, if you're a plus minus fan, I, I know there's still some who exist. I mean, I'll just side note, like plus minus, like while people can discredit a lot in the age of analytics, it's still, you know, it still has a place to look at. It's a metric, you know, it is. Yeah. It's, it's, you have to take it with context because it is like, like there are a lot of other factors that are going to influence a player's plus minus outside their control, but there are still larger trends with that, that you can use it as a tool. It's just, I feel like there's one extreme or the other of people treating it either like the end all be all or some garbage stat that has no bearing on anything whatsoever. I shit on plus minus all the time. If, if if there is a significant lean one way or the other, I think it's valid. If we're talking about the difference of throughout the course of a season five to ten goals, then I don't think it's very important at all. Yeah, because there's so much that goes into everything. You're one of five players on the ice. Your goalie doesn't make an easy save or something like like Brett Pesci got or whoever was defending on Florida's goal that Alex Nedeljkovic let through his five hole that gave him a lead. <sighs> I mean, hey. that, they, those guys got a minus for that, and that was a garbage goal. Who, who in Nedeljkovic's uh, defense played pretty well against Florida. Maybe his best game as as an NHLer, his best full game at least. But you can't give up that goal. But that goal was terrible. It was an awful, awful goal. Yeah, I was like, yeah. When that happened, I was like, oh, oh, I, I felt yeah, like I, need, I felt like I need to go throw up. Is why I, I felt bad like... for him. Yeah, I felt bad for him, but at the same time, like I agree with Rod Brindamore's sentiment. Like, and I said this too. Like, that's a really bad goal to give it up on. But the way the Hurricanes were playing, they deserved to be yeah. trailing. And like Brindamore said, it's when you play like that, you can't blame the loss on the goalie, and that's true. But at the same time, like over the course of a season, like you're gonna have when you're not like that. playing well, yeah. you, you need your goalie to make. A good save, and that was you need your goalie to make a routine save. I yeah, I, I I have no idea how that went in. Like it was just such a slow on the ice shot that somehow got through. It felt like again, I'm not trying to pile on Nadalkovich here, but if like a Kane's defenseman or forward or whoever was like just standing there with a stick, like I felt like that would have been a pretty easy pass to receive. You know, like it was like one of those goals. So that was really unfortunate, but. Yeah, so I guess my my point going back to the plus minus is I will I will naysay plus minus a lot, but you know if it's significant one way or the other, what was Rob Rinnemore's plus minus his last year like a minus thirty or something? It wasn't good. Yeah, Rod, Rod did not go. Uh, Rod went out like a lamb and not like a lion when his playing career did. <laughs> <laughs> Well said. <laughs> I agree. And, and Brett Pesci uh, in 1819 had like a plus 32 or something, like franchise record, best in the league. Like those yeah. are indications that, 
you know, that's that's significant. That's really significant. There, well, I think there was wasn't there a year where Ovechkin was like a minus thirty something because like all of his goals came on the power came play the power or something play. like that. Yeah. yeah, I'm and I'm now afraid for my safety if Rod Brindamore listens to this podcast, but. Um, <laughs> Well, we, well, we we know just, he's we've established that he does. We've established it. He and Dougie and Dougie Spetch, Spetch virtual will, meeting will probably listen. be sharing that one with him. Yeah. Andrew, he will no longer be saying good questions from you now. Yeah. No, never. Um, that's such a great compliment when when they say <laughs> best question of the night. That's a good question. Great question. Yes, um, it is. Well, because like, like, and I've thought about this too. Like, because coming from Rod, like. You know he means it. Like, you know he's not going to yeah. praise anything if he doesn't mean it, and that includes us, like. Yeah, you know, ride the mother in bod. Yeah. Gilbert Gottfried, huge Kaniac, as we've seen. Uh, we keep going on tangents, but if you haven't no, seen that still, Twitter yeah. video of Gilbert Gottfried, <laughs> that somebody yeah. did make, paid there's him to do a cameo about the Canes. Yeah, there's two now. Somebody paid him on cameo. The two videos just hyping up the canes, and it is the funniest it's thing great, I've seen. Because he doesn't know what any of this is, and he's just expletive-filled rants about the hurricanes, and he has no idea what the hell he's talking about. Uh, but he's great. He's 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 hilarious. He's Gilbert Godfrey. His pronunciation of Svechnikov is what absolutely just in the last one. Yeah, those are those are special videos. And this team has come a long way since uh, a few years ago. Now they're good, and they score a lot of goals. And Gilbert Gottfried is making cameos for them. It's very—it's a different time. It's a totally different time. Gilbert Gottfried, huge, huge caniac. Huge caniac, just a Monsters humongous caniac. I mean, he was yelling. He was—he was full Gilbert Gottfried, and it was those are great. Um, what? What were we talking about? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I'm just we're still on. We're plus minus still. Oh my Which god! Which I believe had something to do with Jake point. Gardner. Holy shit! <laughs> We've been talking about plus minus for ten minutes. What the fuck? That's, <laughs> no. that's nine minutes. One should give consideration to plus minus. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I anyway. said it's not a garbage stat, but that's a little bit much. Yeah. So. Yeah, okay, because Ryan defended plus minus. I said it's garbage. I tried and, I tried to find a middle I, ground. And Andrew said, was the mediator. Context as a metric. Yes. No, I, I, I jokes aside, I think we're on the same page with that. Um But yeah. Anyway, back to Jake Gardner, which is where this <laughs> conversation needs to be all the time. You know, he's been playing really well and also like Andrew said, uh like an hour ago. He said that um, it feels like an hour ago that he said that Pesci and Gardner has probably been their best pairing this year. Uh, I would agree with that because Slave and Hamilton hasn't really caught footing. I thought they were a little bit better last night. I thought Dougie in particular was a little bit better last night. It feels like they're getting there. But like, kind of like with Tara Vinen, where you could feel like he was getting closer and getting closer to getting back to his footing from the COVID list, and then he had that four point night against uh, Columbus on Monday. It kind of I'm starting to feel like that was Slavin now. It's it's feeling like he's kind of getting there and getting there. Yeah. Yeah. Slavin has been such a weird case too cuz it's like it's not it doesn't seem physical. It all seems like little mental mistakes that he makes. Yeah. He'll make an errant pass or like 
he'll just make like this, like try to force a play that just ends like really badly. And it's like, but it, it's like, as you said, he's got like the lowest expected goals against on the team. So it, it it's not really, these plays aren't backfiring on him, but it's like, it's slowing the Canes momentum. So it's like, it's not detrimental, but it's like, it's not typical Slavin. And it's kind of like, it's a little trudgy. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and it's I think also too plays like that stand out more with Slavin because like under normal circumstances they're the kind of things that like Jacob Slavin never does. Yeah, and you know I think at the core of it he's still pretty much been the same guy, but I think he's not making the outstanding plays really that that we're accustomed to like these dramatic like end to end zone exit entries that. Well, that he'll have like once every couple of games and you're just like, what? Like, how is that possible that he's doing that? And, you know, I think he's just missing like the, 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 the little, like not the little things, but like the things that separate him on kind of a star to superstar kind of level. Um, that That's kind of not there right now, but uh, so hopefully he'll get that back soon. And yeah. And, so the pass that Gardner made in overtime, trying to get centered again. Um, trying that, to center it much like Jake Gardner failed to do in overtime. Yeah, and I am also failing. So Oh, centers. So should we talk about our center oh, depth? for the love of God, please just let me <laughs> right, right. stop this now. The pass that Gardner made in overtime, you know, it was really unfortunate because that's what everyone's going to remember from that game and from what he did that night. Uh, and it's not fair to him. Uh, but at the same time, you know what they say about the NHL it is a make or miss league. The the Hurricanes missed on that, and I was thinking about it. I don't blame them for making that pass. Just trying to win the game. Like, yeah, there, there's there's two schools of thought. You can and I I see the other one. The one the other one is like. Always make the safe play, like make overtime about possession, do which whatever is going to help you keep the puck until you feel like you have just like a perfect opportunity to get that rush. But like he's trying to win the game, like, and I, I can see that too. It's like that's what you should be doing. Let's, I mean, let's let's think back to when the Hurricanes got Jake Gardner. Do they want him to be the defenseman who is safe? and not taking risks, I don't think that's why they got him in the first place. I think no. they got him because he's a dynamic offensive player. And sometimes it's going to backfire. That's just the fact of the matter. I mean, when you have an offensive defenseman like that, you know what you're going to get. And I think recently we've been getting pretty much what the Hurricanes wanted out of Gardner. And yeah. the nature of Jake Gardner is that every few games, or not every, maybe not every few games, but every once in a while – He's going to make a play that you're like, that that is not a play that you should make. And that's just going to happen because to this point in the season, his good moments have heavily outweighed his bad moments. And this and last night was a bad moment for him. It was. and But to that, for most of the game, those were a lot of good moments. He had a lot of quality plays in that game. And, you know, that's... Frankly, that's just kind of the nature of Jake Gardner and players like Jake Gardner. And 
I get the I get the frustration, but like the pe- people who are like, oh, okay, now you have to scratch him for a game. No, that's that's absurd. That's ridiculous. That, yeah. that that's like you know, again, Sebastian Ajo had a very similar type of play that was worse than Jake Gardner's, and you know, people not, forgot about we're not it. scratching Sebastian Ajo. And yeah, and I'm not even. I didn't want to say that because it feels like an unfair comparison. But you know, right? The, the, the frustration with him went away in like four seconds. It was gone. And he's earned that right because he's well, so good. But it's talking- like Jake Gardner is like has so much carryover vitriol from last season. Yes. It seems it's like yeah, he's played people- exceptional this entire season, and people are looking like, yeah, well, he made a mistake. And I remember last season when he wasn't good as good. The thing about Aho too is the Hurricanes win the game. Like if the Hurricanes lose that game in overtime, we're probably talking more about that. Yeah, and you know you're. <laughs> You're in overtime, and again, I, they were bad in the second half of that game. They were bad. Like at that point, I'm just like, try to make a play, try to make an individual play that will get you the other point, and just like be done with it. I wasn't offended by that pass, like a lot of people seem to have been. Try to make a play to win that game, and. This this could be any player. This Jacob Slavin could have made that pass. I would feel the same way. Like anyone could have made that pass, considering how that game was going. It, whatever you try to make a play to win a game in overtime when your team is playing poorly and you're lucky to be there in the first place. Try to yeah. steal the extra point. I get it. Um, and again, it was a great play by Barkov, and then a great goal from Jonathan Huberdo. Uh, you know those things happen sometimes. Yeah. No, I mean you it's like we're like you're saying, like they were they were lucky to get a point in that game. They were lucky to be in overtime. Rod Brindamore and George Stahl both said that after. When you're in that position because the other thing too is we've seen how the Hurricanes normally look at overtime. They were bad at overtime. Yes. Like they didn't have their normal like possession and everything like that. So like if you like if you've got the puck on your stick and you've got a chance to you know, make something happen and steal the other point, yeah, go for it. I mean, especially in those circumstances. Like you said, if that passes an inch higher in the air, it gets to Trocek, and he has a chance to win the game. And given the way Trocek had that tying goal and the way he's played that this season, yeah. he probably does. And we're having a very different conversation about, well, a lot of things, but specifically Jake Gardner. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like it, it had been, like, do for the Hurricanes for a while like I feel like winning masks a lot of things and the Canes have had issues with defensive breakdowns and coasting for entire periods at time like like their identity last season was just to keep going 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 and not take breath but it's like it seems like the Canes aren't just taking breaths they're like they're like all right we got this 2-0 lead here we're good let's just let's just kind of coast and then the Panthers come back and then they're on their heels and they can't find a way to get off their heels that was the issue they ran into against with Dallas. It feels like with Columbus in their loss. It's there. It's like the Canes keep, I don't know why or like what's the reason even there, but it seems a lot of the time they, they'll do well and then they'll like ease up. They don't have like this killer instinct or something, not to sound take like a, a high school football coach. <laughs> yeah. And you take a breath. Yeah. You can't take a breath. We're not good enough to take a breath. But the funny <laughs> thing is they are good enough to take a breath now. And, to your point, Ryan, Jordan Stahl talked about it last night. He said that they've been getting away with being too cute for a while now, and they got to fix it. And 
I think that was on display for a lot of the second half of that game when they were just getting away from what got them the 2-0 lead in the first place. They they got away from it. And um, so, yeah, it, it was a disappointing loss. Uh, but also, it's not a loss that I would overreact to. Uh, this team is very clearly a good team, and that loss doesn't change that. And, you know, there are some things that need to be cleaned up, though, for sure. Yeah. I mean, we can even talk about, like, Dreger, who is in net for Florida, is playing really Fantastic. well. Fantastic, yeah. Had an exceptional it, game. It could have been 5 nothing. Hurricanes after the first period. like Easily. We it looked like we were heading for one of those first periods where they play extremely well and don't have anything to show for it. Like Stahl and Ajo didn't score their goals until the last two minutes of the period. We're now about a quarter of the way through the season, and the Hurricanes are ten three and one, or we're exactly a quarter through the season. And are we going to talk about the Columbus game at all, or are we too far past it? That was a doozy. Especially what it comes down to, Kane's had a bad start. 26 seconds in, you know, Cam Atkinson takes the lead. Five minutes like after that, they have a 2-0 lead. And the Canes are like, oh, all right, didn't start well. And it's basically, it's looking like the period's going to end like 3-1. And it's just looking really bad for the Canes. Jordan Stahl gets a clutch goal in like the last minute and a half of the game. And then after that, it's just the Canes just decided they just wanted to just kick the teeth out of the Columbus Blue Jackets. Six unanswered goals. <laughs> they ended up winning the game 7-3. It was a bloodbath of an offense. It was insane. That wasn't even a game after the first period. It was literally just a thrashing RIP Atlanta Thrashers. So, yeah, I mean, that was an impressive win. I think it was a, a win that kind of showed that Carolina is in the upper half of that division and Columbus probably is in the lower half, if we're being honest, because Columbus has a lot of issues yeah. right now. They, they, those issues have been masked by a lot of overtime losses that have gotten them points, but I do not think that they're very good. No, and that was the biggest takeaway of, other than all that for me on Monday was um, Tavo Teravainen kind of having his yeah. get-right game. He had the goal wiped out, and then, then he comes back. He's doing what you expect from him. He's making highlight reel passes for goals for other people. He's scoring himself. He just... That was him and Ajo both in that game. I mean, I feel like that was kind of the first game this season that we've seen Ajo and Teravainen look like that dominant duo that can just go out there and take away, take over games that we've come to expect from them. And it's understandable that it took Teravainen that long to get to this point. But if you're getting that from them, in addition to guys like Vincent Trocek, Nino Niederreiter, and Jordan Stahl doing what they've done, the, the Hurricanes are ridiculously difficult to defend. We are a quarter of the way through the season. Exactly a quarter of the way through the season. What are we what are these takeaways? So the Hurricanes are 10-3 and 1. They have 21 points in the standings. They are I believe tied for second place in the division behind Florida by one point. If they Carolina had one last night, they'd be first right now. And it's it's very close. Uh, they're tied with Tampa and Chicago, but Chicago has played I think four or five more games than everyone else at this point. So take that as you will. But we're a quarter of the way through the season. What are the biggest takeaways so far from from 14 games, Ryan? My biggest takeaway is that the Canes are an offensive juggernaut. There's no really way around that. They have three lines that can score. 
they have defensemen that contribute and move the puck like the offensive zone the canes are arguably one of the top teams in the league and you know not if we're not looking at the north division that doesn't have any defense where all their players are putting up 30 points because there's no defense in canada like the canes are one of the top offensive leagues or teams in the league i feel like watching this i mean like outside of having brock mcginn and jordan stall become you know literal top end elite players that we all expected (laughs) to happen i mean you have Aho at 14 points. You have Trocek at 14 points. You have Dougie Hamilton, 10 points. Nino Niederreiter has seven goals. You know, Tavo Teravainen had a four-point night in Columbus. He's about to, like, turn the corner there. Natchez has seven points. Vogel even has seven points. I mean, that one's the Canes are getting so much offensive production all throughout the lineup. And it's finally what the Canes have always been looking for. You know, they were a one-line team last year, pretty much. Now they're a three-line team. And it is absolutely fun to watch. I think, too, with Dougie, like, I feel like with Dougie, it's a very quiet 10 points. Like, you feel like we haven't seen that top gear from him in the offensive zone a lot yet. And I think we will. But, no, I agree. I think beyond the things that may or may not be as sustainable, like Jordan Stahl and Brock McGann, a couple of the big questions for this team getting more scoring depth were Trocheck bouncing back from his injuries later in his time in Florida and kind of being the player the Hurricanes thought they were getting when they got him. And I think he has been that. And getting a bounce back from either Niederreiter or Dezingle in the top six. Obviously, Dezingle is gone now, partly because Nito became that guy. So, no, I think, you know, there were question marks for the Hurricanes that have been, you know, in terms of how good they could be up front that have kind of turned into answers so far, which for me is one of the biggest contributing factors to how good they've been. I will give it not necessarily negative takeaway, but just one that kind of needs is still a big question mark for me. And that's the goaltending Uh, with Morazic out. Reimers had some good games. He's also had some games where he's looked rather shaky. Um, Ned has it's weird because like both the Dallas shootout game and this game against Florida I felt like he played pretty well made some good stay saves he also in both games gave up a goal in the in a third period one that sent the game to overtime in Dallas and one that let Florida take the lead that are just not goals an NHL goaltender can give up um I think that they're gonna hopefully get Morazic back sooner than later. And then they just need to see if he is the guy that he looked like early in the season. Cause obviously that was a small sample size and they think he can be the guy or take the time to evaluate. And if they don't think that then they need to be looking at options for goalies, because I think this team is really, really good and it has a really big opportunity to do something special this year. And I, I think it would be a shame if everything else is really good. And as so many other we've seen with so many other Hurricanes teams in recent years of goaltending, it's kind of what ends up doing it in. Um, so I think they need to be open to any avenue to strengthen their goaltending to make sure that that doesn't happen. It would be a huge shame if the Hurricanes continue to have this kind of center play 
and they wasted it because the goaltending wasn't good enough. Because yes. as good as, I mean, if Jordan Stahl keeps doing this, this is a shortened season. If he can stay this some semblance of this effective offensively this season, um, that's a big if. But if that does happen, you have a top three center core that is not it's not something you're going to replicate uh, realistically. And it's, it's something that you need to take advantage of with this team, uh, with all the, you know, uh, the talent on the, on the, on the wings with Niederreiter and Natchez and Svech and, and Teravainen and, and all these guys. And you, you have this defense that is very capable and, you know, you, you've, you've seen Pesci and Gardner play really well you know Slavin and Hamilton have another level that they can get to, and I, I would put money on them doing so. This is a good team, man. Like This is a team that can make a, make a splash in the postseason, uh, especially in this, in this format. I, I don't think if you put the Hurricanes against any team in this division in a postseason series, I'm not running off Carolina against any of them. I'm honestly not. And you don't want to waste an opportunity like that, like Andrew said, uh, with poor goaltending. And if it's something that needs to be fixed, you have to do it. Uh, you just have to, because you can't you can't let this kind of go to waste. So, I think that's a really good point. This is kind of starting. Obviously, again, we're only a fourth of the way through, but if this continues the way they're playing, like going to the deadline. This is kind of looking like a push your chips in kind of year. Like you yeah. have a gr- a great team, you have a chance, and like you said, a they're probably with Jordan Stahl's offense added in the mix, probably not going to replicate what they've gotten from their centers past this season. Plus, with the expansion draft, whatever happens there, or with cap issues, um, when you end up having to pay Svechnikov and decide what you're going to do with Dougie, like windows of opportunity for this kind of success in any sport and the NHL is no different are fleeting. And I feel like when you have a team like this, especially when you too, when you have the resources in terms of their prospect pool that the hurricanes have, you have to take advantage. You have to make, if it feels like you're a move away from, you know, putting you over the top this year, I feel like this is a year that you go out and make those moves if, if at all possible. Yeah. Like the, the hurricanes have like, Bonafide superstar in Andrei Svechnikov, franchise player. Like Aho is a franchise player. You have young stars of like Tara Vinen and whatnot. Like you can afford to move out some of these higher end prospects. Like, would you like to have them? Yes, but the team is such in a good spot in terms of depth with that. That moving out some of these prospects, if you can land a high tier goalie or you know whatever the case they may need, like but pretty much a high-tier goalie if it's not really working out coming towards the deadline. That's a move the Hurricanes really need to make. I mean, you have another year of Trocek and Niederreiter if they continue this level of play. And you know, you're assuming Dougie gets re-signed. You're hoping that it's similar ballpark. But, you know, the things like McGinn, Fogel, Marnook are all making $2 million and like their their contracts are up after this year. Odds are they're not going to One or two back. of them are gone, at least. Yeah. yeah. And... Well, it's interesting Ryan mentioned having a superstar in Svechnikov. You've got Svechnikov right now on his rookie contract, not taking up not taking up a huge percent, barely taking up any percentage of your salary cap at all. This is the last year you're going to have that. It's 
it's an imperfect comparison, but it's almost like talking about in the NFL, how kind of your path to do it is winning when your superstar quarterback is on his rookie contract and you have the financial resources in the cap space to fill in a bunch of veteran talent and spend money on that, that you're not going to be able to once you start paying them. And I feel like we're going to see that at least a little bit with the Hurricanes when you have to start paying Svechnikov if you decide to pay Dougie. You're going to have to pay Natchez in another year. Like these, where they are right now with this roster, it's going to, ch- and you hope, you know, the way to be continually successful, like we talked about before we recorded, is with their prospects too, being able to shuffle in guys on rookie deals. And you hope you can do that. But I think while you have the ability to spend on veterans right now with some of these young stars on their rookie contracts, you got to do it. Thinking about prospects. I can only think of one guy who I would have a real hard time trading, and I think that's Seth Jarvis. Outside yeah. of that, I think the Hurricanes have great, uh, a lot of like high ceiling guys that that could be great NHL players, but could also kind of falter. And I feel like Seth Jarvis is one of the few where it's like you feel pretty good that he's a going to be an NHLer and b can be an impact NHLer. So outside of him, I mean, I, I've watched Chicago's games, and he just looks so good. I mean, he, he doesn't look like he's 19. He just turned 19, and he's playing in a league he shouldn't technically be in uh, because he belongs in that league. I mean, he is just constantly, constantly a problem. Um, yeah. I, it's still really early. Keep that in mind. But, I mean, he looks phenomenally good uh, in, the, in the AHL so far. So uh, I've been really impressed by him. The fact that they got him at 13 seems like a, a pretty good deal for Carolina. Again, Andrew, you tweeted this out a few days ago. They got him because they took on the Patrick Marlowe buyout, and they appear to be getting rewarded for that. Now, a couple of other things with the whole um, global pandemic and return to play and the way the draft lottery shook out. Also had a thing or two to do with the Hurricanes getting the 13th pick. Yeah. But that was how they ended up having Toronto's pick in the first place. Outside of Jarvis, I mean, if there's a guy that helps you, and I really, I don't think they're very far off from being a cup contending team. And if there's a guy that's available, a goalie, if one obvious option is out there, then I don't think there's many guys on that prospect list where you're like, no, we can't, we can't deal with with getting rid of him yeah i think the one other one i would deal for the right return but i would be somewhat hesitant and it would have to be a pretty good player coming back would be ryan suzuki their other last first round pick just because everything i've read and heard about him he has a pretty good potential to be a good um top six top nine center in the nhl and it's hard to find and develop those guys and Speaking of Jordan Stahl, I mean, we're not that far away from where the hur- when the Hurricanes are going to have to think about a long-term replacement there. But I think he also lack he doesn't quite have that same like game-breaking ability yeah. that I think we've seen from Suzuki. So I Jarvis. would deal or from Jarvis, yeah, I would deal Suzuki for the right player. But he's the only other one that I would kind of be like, eh, we really got to think bit. about this, yeah. yeah. But at the same time, like we always say, you have to give up talent to get it. So, 
and I mean like prospects, it's like like is Bean still a prospect at this point, or is he like gonna be a regular on this roster? He, okay, he's so, looked really so good in we, the two games that he's played this week. Can can we I was gonna I was gonna go to that right now. Let's do it. We we need to talk about this. So so Hayden Fleury has been out of the lineup the past two games in favor of Jake Bean and getting him some games. Hayden Fleury is one of the most likable players on the team. No cap, as you know, the kids say. You know, <laughs> as Gilbert Gottfried would say. As Gilbert Gottfried would say. You know, the kids like Gilbert Gottfried would say. So so Jake Bean has been in the lineup and he looks he looks pretty good. His last game against Florida wasn't as good. I I don't think. I feel like he had a good first period, and then he kind of like Brendan Moore just kind of like, cut his minutes. Yeah, like the whole team was pretty bad the rest of the way. So I, uh, yeah, whatever. So I think Jake Bean. You know, he had two points in that game against Columbus. His first two NHL points. He's really looked good, and there's there's clearly some frustration about Hayden Flurry being the guy that they take out. But I kind of want to think about this from kind of a different angle. The and this was something that was mentioned earlier. The expansion draft is going to happen, and when when the Hurricanes have to give up a player, it's most likely going to be a defenseman, and it's most likely going to have to be one of Bean or Flurry if they don't pull off a trade to get rid of like a Shea or a Gardner or whatever. Uh, so. You, I think the biggest fear for the Hurricanes should be not playing Jake Bean this year and then having him get taken in the expansion draft and then he's like a top four defenseman right away in Seattle because I think that's a very r- real possibility of something that could happen. And yes. if, if, if the Hurricane if that happens and the Hurricanes are like, oh, well, we didn't play him because we were playing Hayden Fleury instead, that would have been a massive mistake in a poor use of your assets i believe i i agree and i think jake bean has looked first of all i think he's looked really good second of all i like hayden flurry i think he's a solid player i think he doesn't necessarily like he on his own merit doesn't deserve to be sitting but you need like we said you need to get jake bean some games and he makes the most sense to sit i mean the when they're playing well, which they are right now, the attributes that Gardner and Shea offer are just more valuable than Flurry. I mean, Flurry's a good skater, good two-way defender, good shutdown defender, but and a guy like Bean too. I mean, I, I think we're pretty we know pretty well what Hayden Flurry's um, ceiling is, which is just as a good bottom four defenseman who's steady, solid, dependably can chip in a little bit of offense. Beans is as a top four good skating offensive defenseman who can quarterback your power play, who can make things happen in the offensive zone. He can skate the puck up the ice. Um, some of the plays that he made, um, he had two assists in the Columbus game. He might have been better or at least more noticeable for me against Florida with some of the plays that he was making in the offensive zone. So it's not fair flurry to be sitting but it makes all the sense in the world right now that you need to get jake bean some games and if you're gonna sit a guy on the blue line it makes the most sense to me for it to be flurry because here's one other thing to think about with jake bean jake bean 
Now, he does play a different side of the ice than Dougie Hamilton, so you would still have to fill in with somebody on the right, although it's, it should be noted that Brady Shea is a guy who's capable of beating the right. But Jake Bean, with his skill set as an offensive skating defenseman who can make plays in the offensive zone and quarterback a power play, say you are unable to make something happen with Dougie Hamilton. Say Dougie Hamilton is out the door after this season. Jake Bean would almost have to be part of the – Hurricanes plan part of their formula for backfilling and replacing some of Dougie's production for the blue line. So I think both as the, with the whole expansion draft thing, with figuring out what you have um, in him for the future, and again, f- figuring out if he can be part of a plan B for Dougie Hamilton, I think it's very important that they take a, an opportunity to evaluate Jake Bean right now, especially while he's playing well and deserves to be in the lineup. Now, if Jake Bean starts playing poorly and turning the puck over and leading to scoring chances against well then it doesn't really matter what I have to say because we all know in that scenario Rod Brindamore is not going to play him but while he's playing the way he is I think you have to play him and evaluate him yeah I mean we like flurry but analytically too it's like he was the worst Kane's defenseman yeah. over the stretch like he what? just wasn't he doesn't generate offense really and so like if you're a defensive guy cool but if you're constantly having to defend because you can't generate it outside of your own zone that's not as ideal yeah especially in the hurricane system yeah i think i think he made a good point because I, we all like hayden flurry we all enjoy him we all think he's an nhl caliber guy but the fact is that he has he's probably been their worst defenseman and Andrew you also said we have an idea of what he is he's probably going to be a third pairing guy maybe 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 a fringe number 4 defenseman maybe he's probably he's probably playing top 4 minutes on a half decent number of teams whose defensive depth that's, is not that's nearly fair. as good as the hurricanes that's fair but you know I, i'm taking into account that this we're talking about the hurricanes and, but you are right. And it's not like it's not like Rod is being unfair. Like, at least in my sense, like in the bubble when Flurry was playing outstanding and the Hurricanes had all the, those defensemen, I want to say in the bubble there was at least one game against either Boston or New York where Jake Gardner was scratched. And in fair, I'll say Brady, Brady Shea is kind of Jekyll and Hyde. You see it last night. He made the sliding block to probably save a goal in the second period. And then uh, I believe it was Florida's second goal. He kind of just got caught in no man's land. But no, I mean, the way overall he's been playing great. And like you said, given the price they paid to acquire him and the fact with that that he's clearly part of the team's future plans, they're only going to scratch him if he's playing awful. They're not going to scratch him so that somebody else can play. All of this is relative. We're not saying like the hurricanes have the best blue line in the league. It's absolutely stacked. All of this is relative to who's playing better than who. Like we're not saying Brady Shea has been bad. We're not saying Hayden Fleury has been bad. I don't think Hayden Fleury has been bad, but when it's all relative and you need to get Jake being the games, Hayden Fleury is the odd man out. Yes. Hayden Fleury's going to get back in the lineup. He's going to get his shots. It'll all work itself out. But again, they need to... I don't really see both Fleury and Bean being around long-term, so you got to decide which one you want more. And then I think on just... I think the one last thing, really, is like on player you know, movement 
was Dezingle, the Dezingle trade. Yeah, that, that's really the last thing we have to get to here. So thoughts on Dezingle to Ottawa for Galchenyuk and Cedric Paquette. Did anyone ever say Galchenyuk's name outside of one time in the press release? No, this this <laughs> this was hilarious. Both in the press release, they they talked about him, but press releases for a trade usually have a quote from Dom Waddell, and this one did. <laughs> it talk he talked about Cedric Paquette specifically, and only him specific. He it was like a sentence about like being excited about Paquette and what he brings, and then saying we're excited to add both these players. He had an interview on Hurricanes Live before that night's game. I could be wrong, but I'm 90% sure he only talked about Paquette. And then I know for a fact, after that game, Rod Brindamore was asked about the trade. And he most certainly only talked about Paquette. We come to find out, yeah, the Hurricanes did not have plans for Alex Galchenyuk. It was getting, my guess is it was they wanted to get, they wanted Paquette. They wanted to Zingles cap hit out. And Ottawa said, okay, well, if you want us to take the Zingles contract and you and you not retain any salary, you have to take Galchenyuk too, which I'm sure they said fine because he's only a million and it still saved them some. They put him on waivers and then they managed to flip him to, to Toronto. So we can talk about Paquette, but from the cap saving standpoint, really good move for a Hurricanes team that a couple weeks ago was forced to play um, with 19 skaters due to their lack of cap space. I think they now have couple million maybe of wiggle room they have about if if jake bean's on the roster it's 1.6 if jake bean is on the taxi squad it's 2.4 it'll fluctuate between that and they've been doing like paper moves of sending their extra player to the taxi squad like every other day because every day that you don't have that cap hit allows you to keep accumulating cap space towards potentially making a move at the trade deadline I'm pretty sure Jake Bean spent most of Wednesday on the taxi squad, technically. He did. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. Salary cap manipulation. Yeah. Maple Leafs 101. Who would have ever thought the Hurricanes would need to be doing that? Yeah. But the whole offseason, we were talking about somebody on the top has to bounce back. Dezingle or Niederreiter. Somebody has to bounce back. And lo and behold, Niederreiter, seven goals now. Or six goals, I think. Seven. seven. One of those He's two. tied for the seven. team lead. Seven. Okay. I couldn't remember which one. It He's was tied with Jordan Saul seven goals and Rockman again for the team lead, obviously. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the obvious the top three snipers. <laughs> yes. Uh, intro, but, intro but Nito bounced back, and Dezingle did not. Dezingle still looked not great with the Kane system to start the season. He had two power play goals. Like, one was a deflection, even at that. And he just... Even when all of those players went down with the when the COVID struck the Hurricanes locker room, Dezingle was playing fourth line minutes. He was on the fourth line. He didn't get promoted up at all. And it was just obvious that the Canes just pretty much didn't have a spot for him. They didn't really want him around. So, I mean, even if he goes to Ottawa and scores, you know, 30 goals, it was not going to happen to Carolina. <laughs> like. Yeah. It was just Dezingle just didn't work in Carolina after outside of that like three week stretch where him, Hall, and Natchez were yeah. dynamite. Well, that's what Dezingle kind of needed. I think on paper when they signed him, the argument that I saw and the reason that I thought it had potential to be really good was over his career, Dezingle was a really high percentage shooter and high percentage finisher, and he was coming to a hurricane system that was notorious for 
creating shots and creating chances, but almost especially now with the addition of Trocek and Natchez and the way that uh, Niederreiter's playing, kind of similar to some of these guys on the blue line, he just kind of fell victim to the Hurricanes' depth. And it's like Rod Brindamore kind of said, there just wasn't really a right role for him here. He's not a fourth-line guy. The thing about him and his finishing ability is he's got to be out there with other high-end guys that are going to create and make plays that he can finish. He's not a creator himself. And I just don't think other than like you just mentioned that line with uh, Halla and Natchez, they ever were really able to find that role for him here. Systematically. Uh, I was kind of, I was one of some people who were kind of questioning it at the time. Um, but like you said, like you see his shooting percentage and you're like, this is a team that's historically had a tough time converting. Uh, so that made sense to me. Uh, and there were times last year where it, where it looked fine, but he never, they brought him in to score goals and he's never scored goals. He he was getting assists, but he, he was yeah. never what they expected him to be and frankly needed him to be because they weren't lacking playmakers they they were lacking goal scorers so when he kind of wasn't scoring and it was kind of just kind of racking up his points via assists it was kind of like well it's nice that you're doing that but that's not really the point of what you were supposed to be yeah well sometimes the right idea on paper just in practice doesn't work out. And I think that's pretty much what happened with the Hurricanes and Ryan Dezingle. He needed to be in a scoring role to be effective. And it was very clear that he was the odd man out. So, and they got, you know, they, they shed cap, which was a, pretty much the primary purpose of the deal. It feels like, and you get a guy in Cedric Paquette who brings s- sandpaper to the lineup and sandpaper for days lots of sandpaper uh they're stocked up they went to home depot cedric paquette got all of the sandpaper (laughs) and they're gonna be fine the rest of the year and they're gonna smooth out all those edges on the team and cedric paquette's gonna lift them to a stanley cup championship well the thing i well he did win one with tampa bay there you go but the thing the thing i will say about paquette is i think you you become very leery of overcorrecting, like, oh, we need to get bigger, we need to get grittier and physical to the point where you're adding in the playoffs to the point where you're adding guys in the top nine who are just those big, physical, gritty guys that maybe compromise some of your speed. But I think adding a guy like Paquette for the fourth line is a good way to kind of bring in some of that physicality the Hurricanes have lacked in the playoffs. And he's been great in that department so far. I mean, Monday... He played, I think he had five hits. I think he has nine in the two games since he's come here. And that's an element I think the Hurricanes were lacking a little bit. And as long as you have a guy like that who's playing on your fourth line who can give you a little bit of energy, I think that's valuable. And the other thing, too, with him is all the Hurricanes players that you asked about him before he played um, talked about how much they always hated playing against him. So that's usually a good sign. Yeah, you you don't you, you don't want to get a, a guy for that role and throw him in the top nine and break something that is working so well in the Hurricanes top nine right now. Yeah, yeah the Hurricanes had a gap at four C. They were trying to fill it. Like Morgan Geeky came and tried to fill it. I think Lorenz had a game there, but it's like both of those players are not fourth line grinder types. Like 
Like Jordan Marnook plays on like the fourth line. Marnook's not a point getter. He'll he'll chip in a goal every once in a blue moon, but he's a puck retrieval grind out guy. And you know, Foss similar role. Foss is a defensive forward. He Foss I don't think has like ten goals. It's like his career high in a season. Like he's not scoring, but the point is to be an antagonizing checking line. And Paquette brings that puck. Paquette can help with puck possession. He's good in the faceoff dot. You know, he's physical. He can deliver hits. The Canes need a guy who will stand up for teammates. And that's really what it came down to. I've seen a lot of analytics people being like, Paquette in the lineup is just equals like bad. And I'm like, he's not there to score goals. That fourth line wasn't scoring goals in the first place. Exactly. It's it's not his purpose. And so I've seen a lot of like takes on that. I'm like, his job is literally just to hit bodies, it win exists. faceoffs, and keep the puck out. Well, <laughs> that's literally all he does. And if we're in a situation where they need to, the Hurricanes' depth across their top three lines right now is so good, and Brenda Moore is willing to do it, that they can short in, in like a third period if they need to, they can shorten their bench and be rolling out their top their top nine and the offensive shortcomings of a fourth line like that are not going to be an issue. Yeah. The trade was totally about cap space. It, it, it's what oh, it yeah. was. And, and getting Paquette is just like you're getting a guy who can play eight minutes a night and not screw up too bad, and he'll hit things, and he'll be an energy creator for the team. And that's really – and he'll win faceoffs. The idea that the Hurricanes lost this trade because they didn't get some kind of real impact player, it, it's kind of silly because that's not what they Zingle needed. Wasn't, wasn't that either. Yeah, I mean, he it, wasn't really doing anything. So at least you get someone who actually fills a role that you need to be filled. Waddell's like making calls around the league. It's like, hey, anybody interested in picking up Ryan Dezingle? And Ottawa's like, hey, yeah, we signed these two players. We don't really like them. You want to take them? And the Kings were like, that's about it. They're like, pull the calculators out. That's about like one point some million cap space. Yep. Deal. All and right. then they flip out Jenyuk for, for a prospect. And Warsawski's brother just, just for the just hell for, of it. Just, just because. Yeah, that was the best part of the, that was the that was the biggest one out of all of it. You get the Warsawski brothers together in Charlotte. One's playing, one's coaching. It's great. The Hurricanes love family ties. And I don't mean Just the T V show. I'm sure they love the T V show. Although too, they though. could. Well, yeah, I th- I think the Hurricanes probably if they could have, would have just traded Ryan Dezingle for like any kind of draft pick or even like future considerations without taking any yeah. salary back the other way. But in today's financial and cap landscape, that pro- I'm sure that wasn't feasible. Although Ottawa's not a cap team, but they are a Cash budget team. Draft. So I'm sh- yeah. yeah, I'm sure they Cash. weren't willing to take Dezingle's set full salary without something going out the other way. I think that's all perfectly accurate. I think that'll do it for the Canes Country podcast this week. We went on for a long time, uh, all over the place. It was a bit of a rambling. It was a bit of a rambling one. It's the, uh, it's the quarter season podcast, though. It is the quarter season podcast. <laughs> it's the quarter season podcast, and you can listen to it and every other episode of the Canes Country podcast on Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen to to your podcast. You can find the Canes Country podcast. Please follow slash subscribe wherever you prefer. And uh, leave a review. Say good things about us. Rate us. Do all those things. Follow Canes Country on Twitter at Canes Country. Follow Instagram at Canes Country Picks, P-I-X. Katie is great, and she posts really good stuff there as well. And you can follow these gentlemen where, Andrew, on Twitter and only Twitter. 
at A-S-C-H-N-I-T-T-5-3. It wasn't very smooth, but I got it in there. Uh, Ryan. No, I, you did well. You can follow me at R-Y-A-N-H-E-N-K-E-L underscore. And you can follow me at Brett Finger. Again, please support the podcast. Tell everyone you know about it. Scream it from the mountaintops. Do all those things. I mean, hell, if Brenda Moore, Svechnikov, and Hamilton all listen to it, why can't your friends and family? Exactly. There, there you go. And it's proven that they do from a certain point of view. We will be back next week, and hopefully we'll be talking about a few more Canes wins. We'll see. Be well. Enjoy the hockey. Talk to you next week. Goodbye.